And the Bible reading today is from Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 19. So Philippians 2 from verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Mitch. I'm not one of the pastors here at Wagga Evangelical Church. I'm just here to talk with you this morning about our passage in Philippians 2. Have your Bibles open. Um, and if you don't owe one, please take one from the back table, put your name in it, it's yours. Um, I wanted to start today by introducing you to three men. Uh, the first is a man named Peter who works for an organization called Voice of the Martyrs, which our church supports. Peter left in 2015 on a mission trip to Sudan, which is a dangerous country to be known as a Christian. Peter ended up being thrown in prison where he was beaten, mistreated, and eventually released after 14 months. Why would someone do that? Voluntarily go to a dangerous country. Why take that risk? The second man I actually know personally, I used to go to church with him, a brilliant man, probably the smartest man I know. He left behind a promising career in medicine, walked away. And for what? To be paid less than minimum wage to be trained up to teach the Bible. Why would someone do that? Walk away from a dream job. The last one is much closer to home. I think of another man who packed up the comfort, safety and familiarity of a place that he and his family had called home for 15 years, moved to a new city, knowing hardly anyone, in order to take a job to train others in church leadership. Why would someone do that? Why bother starting all over again? Surely these three men are all nuts. Surely you could find less dangerous, less costly, less uncomfortable ways 
of sharing the gospel with others. For example, surely Peter could have picked a different location for his mission trip. How about Vanuatu? They need to hear the gospel too. And the trip would come with friendly locals, um, awesome island views, and a distinct lack of death threats. Or my second friend who quit medicine, surely they could have persevered with their studies, earned their way to being a GP with flexible hours, and then used their days off to um, do church ministry. And the third man who packed up and moved his family away, why not just stay? If you're serving God just fine in the place where you are, why shake things up? Why make all these unnecessary sacrifices? Why not take the easy road? Well, our passage today basically screams the answer to this question, uh, and that is that gospel partners imitate Christ. That's the big idea for today, that gospel partners imitate Christ. Before we jump into the passage, please pray with me. Father God, help us to listen to what you have to say. Help us put distractions out of our minds and concentrate on your words this morning. Amen. First heading in your outlines, Paul's plans. We're up to a part in Paul's letter to the Philippian church where Paul is making plans involving his two friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Here's a map to show you where they all are at the moment. So Paul is most likely writing this letter from Rome. There he is. And he is in prison. Timothy's with him. And Epaphroditus is over there in Philippi. And he's got a gift, which he brings all the way from Philippi over to Paul in Rome. We don't know exactly what the gift was. It could have been money or books or clothes or a number of other things. Um, but it's at this point when they're all together that Paul writes this letter back to the Philippian church um, in Philippi. Now, there are two main things I wanted you to notice about the way Paul makes his plans. The first is that they are God-dependent. Did you notice how many times Paul uses the phrase, in the Lord, as he makes his plans? In verse 19, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. In verse 24, I trust in the Lord, that shortly I myself will come also. And about Epaphroditus's healing, that God had mercy on him, in verse 27. As well as being God-dependent, Paul's plans are also other-person-focused. Let's look at the reasons why he's sending each of these men why is he sending Timothy? In verse 19, it's so that Paul can be cheered by news of the Philippians. Paul is so invested 
in the Philippian church that hearing from them will be a great joy. And why send Epaphroditus? In verse 28, it's so that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul wants the Philippian church to rejoice at receiving Epaphroditus back. They have been so worried about him, so it will be a relief for Paul to have him reunited with them again. Now, this was a real challenge to think about how I make my plans, because if I'm honest, a lot of my plans are Mitch-focused and Mitch-dependent. For example, when I picture what my life will be like in, say, 10 years' time, this is what I picture. Um, that, that's not me. Um, but I picture myself being happy and comfortable. I picture having a steady job with work that never carries over into weekends or holidays. I picture having enough money to go on fun and exciting holidays. And I picture my children being happy and healthy doing well at school. Now, that does sound like a pretty good life to live. But what's wrong with that plan is that I'm at the centre of it. There's no mention of how I might be serving others at church or how I might be building relationships with people to share the gospel with them. No, it's misfocused. And not only that, it's a foolish plan. Because it depends on so many things that aren't even in my control. I can't control whether I keep my job, whether my family will have good health, whether we're able to have more children, or even whether I'll live another 10 years. I wonder whether you, like me, need to reassess whether the plans that you have for your life are God-dependent and other-person-focused. So that's Paul's plans, God-dependent and other-person-focused. And the thing that we ought notice is not how amazing Paul is, although Paul is amazing, but how he's taking his cues from Jesus. We saw last week in Philippians 2 how Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus' whole purpose in life was God-dependent. He submitted to God's will even when that meant suffering and death for him. Jesus' whole existence on earth was other-person-focused as he stepped down from his glory in heaven and took the form of a servant. The real reason why Paul makes plans the way that he does is because he is imitating Christ. Gospel partners imitate Christ. We're now at the second heading in your outlines, Paul's partners. And we're going to have a look at the two partners that we're introduced to to see how they also are gospel partners imitating Christ. The first is Timothy. Here's how Paul describes Timothy in verse 20. 
For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy is someone who will be genuinely concerned for their welfare. He's other person focused. Paul describes Timothy using almost the exact same words he used back in chapter 2 verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul emphasizes twice here that Timothy is not like the others who are in it for themselves. He doesn't have mixed motivations. He is 100% all in. Now, I think there's a pretty easy way to judge whether someone is doing something out of self-interest or the interests of others. And it's this. Do they stop once it starts costing them? Do they stop once it starts costing them? Let me illustrate for you. I happen to know a young lady. Well, actually, I happen to know a lot of people in Wagga since I'm a high school teacher. So for the sake of people in this story, I'll remove real names and places. But a young lady who works at a retail store in town, she's very courteous to customers, very helpful around the store, restocking and putting things away, uh, very diligent in all her duties. That is until she walks into school on Monday morning. Then it all goes out the window. Instead of courtesy, there's cursing. Instead of cleaning up, we're ripping up little bits of paper and sprinkling them all around the classroom. And instead of diligence, there is utter defiance to do any skerrick of work. What happened? She's no longer being paid to be there. Now, that might seem like a bit of a trivial example, but I think it's what Paul is getting at when he talks about Timothy's proven worth in verse 22. Timothy was there when Paul first preached the gospel in Philippi. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. He worked hard and endured many dangers with Paul back then. And even now, he's still hanging around Paul, no doubt putting himself at risk, but still committed to the cause. He's not like the others that seek their own interests and then pike out when it starts costing them. Why? Because he is a gospel partner imitating Christ. He's imitating Jesus, who remained absolutely committed to God's cause of salvation, even when it cost him everything he had. Let's now take a look at Epaphroditus to see how he is a gospel partner imitating Christ. He receives a glowing commendation from Paul in verse 25. Epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Did you notice the threefold imagery Paul uses to describe him? Close, like a brother. Collegial, like a fellow worker. 
and committed to the cause like a soldier. These three images all have the idea of being side by side, yoked together in the cause of the gospel. Which is unusual when you consider that this might be the first time that Paul and Epaphroditus have been in the same room together. Yet, he is 100% committed to the cause. And like Timothy, Epaphroditus has proven his worth through risking his life to bring this gift to Paul. We see that in verse 30, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, I'm going to take you on a brief aside here, um, because there's a little phrase there in verse 30 that seems a bit out of place. I'll give you a second to read verse 30 again, and I want you to ask yourself, is there something there that seems a little bit off? Have a read. The phrase that I'm looking at is at the end of verse 30, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Your version might say something, if you're working from NIV, it might use slightly different wording. Um, I'm working from the ESV here. But I hope you had the same question I did when I read this for the first time, which was, why does Paul sound so ungrateful? Is this some kind of passive-aggressive way of saying that he wants more from the Philippians? Like a disappointed kid who opens his birthday card from granny, expecting some amount of cash to slide out as he opens it, and then nothing? Come on, granny, aren't you going to complete what is lacking? Well, no, it's not like that at all. In chapter 4, which we'll look at in a few weeks' time, Paul says that he is well supplied, and he calls their gift a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So it can't be that Paul's accusing the Philippians of not giving enough. No, what is meant by the phrase complete what is lacking is that Epaphroditus is finally able to bring about the physical, tangible partnership that exists between Paul and the Philippian church. The Philippians have been wanting to support Paul from afar And so Epaphroditus is the one who helped make it happen, who made complete the partnership by bringing the gift to Paul. That's what we mean by complete what is lacking. Anyway, back to Epaphroditus. He risked his life to bring this gift to Paul. Now, it's interesting that the word risking here literally means gambling which could be an intentional play on words here by Paul. Um, The word 
Epaphroditos is something that Greeks would say as they were rolling the dice in a gambling game. It's sort of like, come on, lucky seven, but instead an appeal to the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Come on, Aphrodite. So if Paul is indeed making a pun, he's pointing out that Epaphroditus gambled his life by trusting God, and he won. God had mercy on him. But now he has a different issue. In verse 26, Epaphroditus is now distressed. Why? Because the Philippians had heard that he was sick. He's now worried because they're worried. That is some next level empathy. As a teenager, I never understood why my mum would get so frazzled if I got home 15 minutes later than when I said I'd be back. I'd take the car and I'd say, yeah, I'll be home by 11, which really meant 11-ish, maybe, I don't know, stop asking me questions. And then the next morning, I'd find out that mum wouldn't be able to sleep until I got home because of her concern that something terrible had happened. Now, that's one-sided concern. Imagine, imagine, if I actually had concern for my mother's concern and did my due diligence to get home on time to give her peace of mind. That's mutual concern, two-sided concern. That's what Epaphroditus has for his church. It's a rare quality, especially amongst teenagers. Here in Epaphroditus, we have another gospel partner imitating Christ. He's got a deep longing and concern for his church, which takes after the way that Jesus had compassion on his people and looked after their needs. So, just to recap what we've seen so far, we've seen Paul, who makes plans that are God-dependent and other-person-focused. We've seen Timothy, who is 100% committed to the cause, even when it starts costing him. And we've seen Epaphroditus, who has a deep longing and concern for his church and for Paul. But there's still that big dangling question that we need to answer, which is, why risk? As we've seen in these three men, it's obviously a good thing to be an invested gospel partner. But why be a risky one? Case in point, Epaphroditus. Why on earth would he risk his life to deliver a present to a bloke he's probably never met? It is utter madness. Insanity. Which brings me to my third point, the perfect partner. Paul... Timothy and Epaphroditus' actions only make sense when we consider the utter madness, the insanity 
of the God of the universe stepping down from being glorious king to scum of the earth. I'll read again from last week's passage from Philippians 2 verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was willing to depart the safety and security of heaven to be tortured and killed on a cross. Jesus was willing to leave behind his status as king over all to become a poor servant. Jesus was willing to trade his eternal peace with God and instead endure his immense wrath. And in doing so, Jesus, the righteous one, died instead of us, the unrighteous ones. He did this so that rebellious, ungrateful people could have their sins forgiven and could come back to their God. This is why Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and the other three men I mentioned at the start, this is why they are bold to make sacrifices, lose comforts, and take risks because that is what our God is like. No other God is like this. That is why Jesus has the name that is above every name. Because there are no gods that would or could do what he has done. If you are listening today and you are not a Christian... Can I challenge you to compare Jesus with the other gods that are out there? Because I'm convinced that you will not find another God who is as worthy of your trust as Jesus. Let me flesh this out with two examples. Take the Muslim God, Allah. Allah is the almighty, powerful, holy God. And so... To suggest that he would 
take on human form and set foot in this world, that's outrageous. It's blasphemy. Allah may be powerful, but willing to humiliate himself for your sake? No way. Or take the Buddha, the name given to the man Siddhartha Gautama, who left behind his life of luxury to become a poor beggar in his quest for enlightenment. Willing to humiliate himself? Absolutely. But is he the powerful ruler of the universe? No. Buddhism itself claims that Buddha is not divine. He's just a teacher. There are many other religions that you could and should explore, but you won't find anything like Jesus where power and humility go together. So that's my challenge. Compare Jesus with whatever else you can find. If you are a Christian, I'd like to ask, what kind of gospel partner are you? Are you one that seeks to imitate Christ? I was challenged by two main things from the passage this week, and so I'll share them with you. Thing number one, am I genuinely concerned for my fellow believers? Am I genuinely concerned for my fellow believers? We saw in the passage today that this is more than just a vague, how are you going? Oh, that's good to hear. No, this is genuine investment in the lives of fellow Christians that rejoices with good news and is distressed with bad news. Now, in my life, I'm often neither joyous nor distressed at good news or bad news because I haven't even bothered to ask what the news is in the first place. So, that's where I'm starting from. Perhaps you have people in your life that you could connect or reconnect with as an invested gospel partner. The second challenge was, am I willing to risk for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to risk for the sake of the gospel? Now, this could look different for everyone. Risk could mean, am I willing to pick up my life and move it somewhere where people haven't heard about Jesus? That's a risk. Risk could mean, am I willing to maintain my church giving or even increase it, even though everything seems to be getting more expensive? That's a risk. Risk could mean, am I willing to potentially tank a friendship by asking about Jesus again? That's a risk. But what we need to ask ourselves when considering these risks is, 
what could we possibly give up that would come even remotely close to what Jesus gave up for us? I'll finish with a saying that I think reflects how we are to be good gospel partners. Um, And it's this, it says that the secret to joy, that is J-O-Y, is to put Jesus first, others next, and yourself last. J-O-Y, joy. When we aim to be gospel partners imitating Christ, when we make it our priority to live for the glory of Jesus and the good of others, then that becomes our joy, not our burden, our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that there is no other name like Jesus. Thank you that he gave up his heavenly throne to become a servant for our sake so that we might have life with you. Please help us to be gospel partners that imitate Christ, who are willing to invest deeply in others and risk boldly for the sake of the gospel. Amen.